but I think you're going to really, really be blessed. Well, Father, I do want to thank you for this opportunity to, to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be with your people. It's good to be in your presence. It's good to be in your house. Father, I just ask that you will just help us. We've come together. We've worshiped. We've greeted each other. We're in a good spirit of fellowship, good spirit in the house and worship. Uh, Lord, we want to now hear what your word has to say. So we're, we want to be open, hearts open, minds open, ears open to hear what the Spirit of God will say through the word of the Lord. Lord, we also pray for every church in our county, whether it be Welton, whether it be San Luis, Somerton, Gadsden. Lord, in this great city, I pray, Lord God, that everywhere someone is dawning the pulpit, that they would bring forth the gospel. People will hear the message. If the call of the Lord will speak to people in their lives, will be transformed. Lord, I, I need your anointing this morning to help me, Lord, in, in the delivery of the word. I pray you help me do just that. And I do thank you for being so gracious and and so kind and being with us. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen. All right, uh, Romans chapter 8, if you don't mind. Uh, stand with me, yes. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 29 through 30. This is our 30th lesson out of Romans. Next month I'm going to do a series uh, titled Belong, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll finish Romans 8 going into... Uh, into Christmas, uh, we are we are wrapping up another uh, another year. It's amazing, isn't it? That time just does not stop for anyone. And so, uh, did I tell you which verses twenty nine and thirty? Let's read those. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. You, may, uh, you may be seated. Uh, last week, actually the last two weeks, we addressed Romans 8.28, which for, for uh, probably most of us Christians, if not all of us, uh, it's, it's one of the most comforting statements in the entire Bible. Uh, because it does tell us as, as believers, um, those who love the Lord, those that are called according to his purpose, that all things are going to work together for the good. All things, everything will work together for the good. Uh, that's been proven in our life time and time again. So it's, it's definitely one of the most uh, comforting verses that we, that we know. Interestingly enough, verse 29 and 30 that we just read is probably some of the most controversial. Uh, 28 most comforting, 29 and 30, some of the most controversial because of the, the topics and the subjects uh, that are addressed here. Uh, when we talk about foreknowledge, predestination, uh, effectual calling of God, justification and glorification, I think people primarily get that. Usually it's foreknowledge and predestination that throws people off. And, uh, and I think the reason it's so controversial is because of bad doctrine. That's all. Just bad. It's bad teaching. 
Uh, we know that it can't be verses that are designed to cause controversy uh, because God is not a, 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 an author of confusion. So every verse, every, every scripture in the Bible that certainly pertains to our life has a meaning to it that is designed uh, to uh, be understood and, and be part of our understanding of God's will and purposes uh, for our life. Also, when we talk about this, I didn't share this in first service, and I don't even know if I should share it with you, but I'm, 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 I'm in deep water now, so I might as well swim. But, but oftentimes when people hear, because I come from a reform point of view, and, and will so in this, you know, people oftentimes ask, you know, is your teaching uh, Calvinism? Well, first of all, it's, it's false premise to even believe that what the Scripture teaches about foreknowledge and predestination came from John Calvin. Martin Luther was teaching it before John Calvin, and Augustine was teaching it before Martin Luther, and Paul was teaching it before Augustine. So, so, to, so to, you know, label somebody uh, Calvinism as if there's a whole set of doctrines and teachings outside of the Bible is just another, another fallacy. Along with that same line, of course, I absolutely believe these scriptures uh, teach and affirm to us uh, about eternal security. And I'm just going to say this. I believe in eternal security. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with anybody who wants to debate me about eternal security. If you want to convince yourself that you can lose your salvation, you just go right ahead. Just go ahead and convince yourself that you can lose it. I'm not going to spend any time uh, debating with anybody about that. The premise of, though, of anyone that believes they can lose their salvation starts from the wrong premise because if you believed you saved yourself, then you got something to lose. If you believed you saved yourself, then you got a whole lot to lose. But if you believe that it's the God of heaven that is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God that saved you, delivered you, works in your life, sustains you, and sanctifies you. If you believe that is God that does the work from beginning to end, then I don't believe how you can believe that the God who is our Lord, our shield, our fortress, our buckler, and our strength cannot keep you until the end. Just, I'm getting all the meddling out of the way so I can just get right to the Scripture. But that's, that's just the biblical truth. And so, what we have here, these five key doctrines, uh, I, I think, yeah, the title of this is The Unbreakable Golden Chain of Salvation because there's like five links here that all go together. One leads to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. All of them are absolutely necessary for what God is going to do. John Stott, he, he calls them the five undeniable affirmations. Cannot deny that this is what God is doing in our life. And the, and the doctrines that these present, they do indeed flow from eternity to eternity. So not even what we see in our life in time 
is based upon a timetable. God is a God, as you know, that does not work in time. He's eternal. And so he works from eternity past. We consider it also eternity present until eternity future. And that's what we, we see here. I don't think there's any greater scope in all of the Bible of the activity and the salvation uh, of God. And so I, I can just tell you that I think it's clear from Scripture that we can truly, truly trust what God has done in your life. If you stand and proclaim to be a born-again Christian, I do not believe at all that if you know what Christ has done, you should be any, in any manner concerned about the God who saved you is not the same God that's able to preserve you and keep you unto the end. Now, this text, it's, it's five chains here, five links that I want to uh, jump into. And this first one is divine foreknowledge. And, th and that's probably the one that's the most misunderstood. Because you know it's two separate words, for uh, and knowledge. And I, I think we all agree. I think we all can agree that God knows all things. And there's never a time when God doesn't know everything. But unfortunately, what that has been translated to mean by a lot of people is that God foreknows people based on what he sees of them. In other words, those that God foreknows unto salvation is people that he has seen through time and has identified or recognized a time in their life that's yet to come by which they do something good and exercise faith. And those are the ones that God foreknows unto salvation. Now, if you have listened to any of the messages in Romans, and there's 30 of them, if you haven't, go back. I know that's 29, you got it, but just binge. Go back and, uh, and catch them, and, and you will understand why that, that can't be possible. That cannot be what, what foreknowledge means. It, it just can't. If you've heard me preach over the last 30 years, and you just can't believe that that's what that means. And, and the reason being is, if God was able to look through time and see something in you that inspired God to foreknow you unto salvation, what would he see? He wouldn't see anything good because the scripture says there is no one good, not one. So he can't be standing back in eternity past and says, I'm just going to take a look at Tyrone. Right now, I know he's, nope, not good. Oh, getting a little bit, mm, not, okay. Still not good. Okay, oh, man, getting a little bit, oh, man, I see something happening in his life. And then all of a sudden, oh, bingo, there it is. Now I can save him. There's nothing good for him to see. Remember, the faith that we have for salvation doesn't even come from us. It comes from him. 
He is the one that even initiates the faith. So believe me, I'm not trying to put you down at all. So don't think I'm trying to be negative. But if you think God stood back in time and saw something good in you, you just didn't fool yourself. <laughs> Nobody ain't standing in front of no mirror saying, mirror, mirror, on the wall, God must love me most of all. <laughs> he ain't seeing anything good in you. All of this is initiated by God from beginning to end. The, even the way that this reads, God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, God glorified. God does it all. Now, does God have knowledge, foreknowledge, even if you want to put it that way? Because, yes, he's omnipotent. Uh, sorry, omniscient, so he knows all things, and he's also omnipotent. So with who he is, he's able not only to know, but also carry out. He has the power to carry out what he knows that is good for his purpose. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. And so even though Christ was delivered up according to God's determined plan, already determined, God already determined, that's how he was going to save mankind already knew that. Then he used his omnipotence, his power, for lawless men to be the very ones that would crucify our Savior. But interestingly enough, this foreknowledge, this word foreknowledge, break it down uh, to know, it, it, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's not just used for the knowledge of a particular event. Actually, this word in the Hebrew and in the Greek is used to virtually mean a synonym to love. It's the same language. God is saying that he has set his affection. When he talks about God for knowing, it means God has set his affection upon someone for a particular interest. Now, uh, to prove this, I'm going to use two passages. One is the Old Testament, and one brings it closer to home for us in the New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses 6 uh, through 8. And listen, I know this is heavy stuff, but you're the smartest church in town, and you're going to get smarter by the end of the day. You can, do, you can take this. You can do this. Look at your neighbor and say, we'll get this. We'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get it. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 says this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for its treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, people often ask the question, why do I have such an affection for the nation of Israel? And my response is because God does. Because God does. But even more so, why does God have an affection for the nation of Israel? Out of all of the nations on the planet, because they, they were not the only nation, why does God have such, why does Israel have a, such a special place? And the scriptures is clear, because God just chose to love them. It's as simple as that. God chose to love them above all other people on the earth. 
Now, you may say, well, that's unfair. Then I would say then, then you would question the absolute perfect knowledge of the Almighty God. Says God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. He loved them. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. So we see here with the nation of Israel, God's love being set on them led to what God determined to do when he placed his love on them. When he placed his love on the nation of Israel, that love, that foreknowledge led him to deliver them out of Egypt. That same thing also works in our life. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 2, I believe this will be on the screen. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to listen to this to God's chosen people. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There it is. Chose them, knew them, loved them, chose them, and the result of that was them being delivered. Of course, their response was obedience, them being delivered by the blood of Jesus. So when we talk about foreknow, we're talking about forelove. Foreknow is, is forelove. God, the God that foreknew us is saying that from eternity past, his sovereign, distinguishing love was placed upon us. Foreknowledge, that foreknowledge, that love that God has placed upon us leads to the next chain, which is predestination. Predestination also two words uh, before or, or uh, beforehand and, and destiny, uh, destination. It, it, it is a person's destiny beforehand. God knows our destination beforehand. Foreknowledge tells us that God fixed his love upon us but it doesn't tell us what, that, what he does with that love. Predestination says, because God has fixed his love upon us, there is a destiny that he has for all of us. He doesn't just love us and just say, I love you. Okay, God, what does that mean? Well, it don't have to mean nothing. I just love you. No, no, because he loves us, he has a destiny for all of us that he's working out that is initiated with his love. So predestination tells us that having fixed his distinguishing love upon us, God decreed that that love will lead us all the way to eternal life. People often ask me the question, and it's, it's because of their own maybe doctrinal understanding or want to know where I come from on my teaching. They'll ask me, do you believe in predestination? My response usually to them is, why wouldn't you since it's in the Bible? I mean, since it's in the Bible, why wouldn't you believe it since it's, it's there? Listen, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, and then we'll drop down verses 11 and 12. It said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless to the purpose of his, sorry, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption, which we talked about in Romans 8, 15, which is that assurance. He, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. It's a wonderful truth. So predestination refers to that action God takes, takes on our behalf before the world even existed from the foundation of the world. It points to that eternal decree of everything that God is bringing to pass in our life, which is indeed eternal life. Sometimes people, uh, you know, you may even ask the question, does the doctrine of, of predestination mean that God is arbitrary in salvation and thus damning some people to go to hell? Well, absolutely not. But I would ask you even, what, what, what do you believe about God? Do you, do you believe that God is a God that desires for every man to be saved? That's a question. Yeah, that, that's one you can answer out loud. Do you believe that God desires all men to be saved? So would he in his perfect love damn someone who desires and accepts him in his love and responds, him, responds to him in faith? A absolutely not. But I'll go one step further. The Lord doesn't damn anybody to hell. We were all going there anyway. We were all going there anyway. All of us have went astray. All of us are rebellious. All of us have went our own direction. All of us had an enmity with God. We, if God would have left us to ourselves, folks, every one of us would have went to hell. But God in his love, God in his grace, God in his mercy through the glorious gospel, has determined to save us and rescue us from our sins. It's the work of the Lord. And so that's why also the, the doctrine of predestination should not have any effect on evangelism. For you to say, well, since God knows who is going to go uh, to heaven, then why should we do evangelism? Because the same God that determined uh, the, the, the means is also the God that determined the ways. And the God who's made the determination, the God who knows who will have eternal life, has said for the way for that to come about for people is through the preaching of the gospel. So that's why we testify. That's why we witness. That's why share, we share our faith. Just like the same God knows exactly what's going to take place in your life, but you still pray. Because the God who knows all things has established the ways by which he does what he does. Y'all doing all right? And so we, we evangelize. 
we preach the gospel. We share the faith. We invite people to church. We open up our Bibles with people. We invite them to our small groups, to our city life groups, to inform people of what the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ says and does in our life, which leads to that third one, which is calling. It's the third link. God foreknows, God predestines, the same God also calls. And there's, there's actually two manners in which we see the call of God in the, in the New Testament. I'm using the term, the term external call and internal call um, or internal call or effectual call. The Bible doesn't necessarily say it that way. It just describes the, the distinction. But just uh, for our understanding, there's that external call. External call is when the gospel is presented to everyone. Like right now, I'm making an external call. Everyone at the sound of my voice can hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone at the sound of my voice can hear the offer uh, of salvation. Everyone at the, at the sound of my voice can know that Christ has died for their sins and they can be forgiven. Everyone at the sound of my voice can hear that call to repent and, and to turn to, to Jesus, believe in him and be saved. Anyone can respond to that call. And then there is the internal call or the, the effectual call. And that's the one by which when the gospel is so overwhelming and so convincing that the Spirit of God works in my life convincingly and enables me to respond to what I'm hearing from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it brings me alive. Not every time somebody has preached the gospel have you quickened unto life. Some of us might have heard sermons for 20 years and then no response. Some may only heard five sermons and 10 sermons, and then there's that one that springs something into your life. And then you hear for sure the call of the Lord Jesus Christ and respond to it. I think the, the, probably the best illustration of that in the Scriptures is the, the death of Lazarus. The Scripture tells us in John chapter 11 that Lazarus had been dead for at least four days when Jesus gets to him. When he gets there, you know, they're crying, the sisters are crying, they're, you know, mourning and, uh, and et cetera. And they said, if you had been here, my brother would have died. And of course, Jesus still reminds them, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. Even though he dies, if you believe in me, you will never die. So Jesus knew the power of his call to life. He stands there before the tomb and he calls Lazarus by name and says, Lazarus, come forth. Now remember, Lazarus is dead. Is there any part of a dead person that desires to live? He's dead. A dead person doesn't have a will to live. He's dead. Dead person has no desire. I have never done a funeral where I've been concerned with the coffin sitting there while I'm preaching. I'm thinking, I'm just wondering if they're thinking at any moment, that, that, you know, they can just get up. Dead people have no will or no, des no desire to live. But when we hear the call of the living Savior, it might be a moment driving in your car. You might be at a ball game watching a game. You might be in your living room reading your Bible. You might be on your knees praying, or you might be even speaking, maybe reading a Bible story to your children. But there's going to be a day when you're going to hear the call of God. 
And even though you're dead in your sin and cannot come out of that imprisoned, locked up condition, there will be a time or has been a time in your life where you've heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and at that moment you came alive. You came alive because of the effectual call of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what happens when God calls us all to salvation. His call creates spiritual life in us. We, 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 we come alive. Spiritual life comes. We respond by turning from sin and by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Three true uh, stories of people that you may or may not know. One I do know you know. This, this, this young man was raised in a Christian, Christian family. Probably spent first, Lord, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 years of his life in church. Seemed like every, every single day. Done VBS, done Sunday school, done church services, done all of, that, all of that stuff. And at an early age, began to recognize that even though, even though sitting with his, with his other cousins at eight years old, the scriptures was meaning something to him. Twelve years old. When, when other ones are ready to just run out and play or go get something to eat, there was a contemplation of what that message just said and how, I can, how that can be applied to my life. 18 years old, as, as life begins, then somewhere down the line, there was an absolute convincing that this fella belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ and that there was no turning back. It wasn't necessarily all of the various gospel sermons, but there was that call from the Lord Jesus Christ that was absolutely undeniable, that he belongs to Jesus. This other one you might know, but I didn't ask him for permission to tell this story, so I won't use his name, but he, he, he was somewhat familiar with going to church, but not a regular church attender. He went to the church service, this particular church service, because the gal that he was interested in told him that his family goes to church and that his parents wouldn't, her parents wouldn't even allow them to have a relationship if he didn't go to church uh, with her. And like a lot of y'all sitting next to somebody, <laughs> you went. He said the church service actually, he said it wasn't, it didn't freak me out. It wasn't nothing at all. It was, you know, some scripture reading, some singing, the pastor preaching. He's just sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm here be, because of her and I'll, I'll do my duty uh, if that gives me an opportunity to, to build a relationship with her. But he says as more as the pastor preach, all of a sudden his thoughts went from the young lady to what was being said. Something started affecting him. He said he couldn't control the thoughts he was having in his head, in his mind. It felt like everything that preacher was saying was just to him. And lo and behold, when it came time for the altar call, to the surprise of the young lady and to the surprise of her, her family and the parents, when he called for people to come forth for Jesus, he said there was nothing that could stop him from standing up and going and giving his life to the Lord Jesus Christ because he heard the effectual call of God. The love of God was placed upon him, and he heard the effectual call. And, and this one, this story actually I know be uh, from the pastor in, uh, in Scottsdale, a, a man in his church 
that was uh, very prominent, he said, in the adult film industry, in the porn, porn business. And he says, I, I, the man was not necessarily from a Christian family, but he, he had made statements that he had attended church services. Some of them was special events that family or friends had invited him to. But that was just over a period of years, and he heavily involved himself uh, in, the, in the porn industry was, again, what, what would be considered a, a, a top-name porn star. But he said that over the years, some of those things that he had heard while he was in church service and those times that he had, a few times he had actually read something in his Bible, it started affecting him. And he didn't, he didn't know why he couldn't let some things go some statements, some scriptures, even some moments where he felt like he was starting to believe something that he knew he couldn't believe because of who he was and what he did. And so he didn't know, he didn't know what was going on in his life. But he goes on to tell the story that, on, on, and he's at the top of his business on this particular set scene. He's there on the set preparing to engage in what, what they do. And he said, all of a sudden, he just started weeping started weeping that they had to hold up the filming. He couldn't understand why he was crying, but was weeping. And the more he tried to stop himself, the more he was weeping. And it came to him that he was being convinced that this life of joy and this life of peace and this life of righteousness and this life of holiness that was so contrary to the life he had that it was real. Something about Jesus became very real to him and very present, he, at that very moment on the set, he said he didn't know the words to say. He just fell on his knees crying and said, Jesus, I give up. I give my life to you. That's the effectual call of God. The effectual call of God. All of those got different stories, but they all have heard the effectual call of God. And it just, it just reminds us all that God is under no obligation whatsoever to call any of us to faith. He's under no obligation to call us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason that we are is because of, entirely because of God's grace and God's unmerited favor. He doesn't call us because of any distinctive traits or accomplishments in us. We absolutely proclaim the gospel to people indiscriminately and universally, male, female, young and old, no matter what culture, no matter what background, and just trust in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ to convince them that this Jesus is a real God and Savior. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did not do this, he did this, sorry, not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace. That was God's plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace. And so God foreknew, God predestined, God called, and God justified. And again, I, I won't go into a whole lot on justification. I spent a lot of time on that uh, in Romans, but just to, de, to, to just give a simple redefinition, justification is the way that God, who he calls up out of sin and unholiness, how he declares us righteous. Even though we haven't done anything to be righteous, 
There's, there's no distinctives in us that could be considered righteous. God is the one that declares us righteous and imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ in us. And now because of that, he reckons that we can stand in the presence of a holy God. People who were once unholy are now holy. People who were once unacceptable are now accepted. People who were once unforgiven are now forgiven. And we stand by faith alone in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification. And those who he justified, he also glorified. There is teaching in the Scripture that Glory, glorification works in our life even while we're being sanctified, while we're here on earth. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we go from glory to glory, from glory to glory. But it's going to end in a final glorification. And, And what a great day to look forward to. What a great day to look forward to when we're fully glorified before the Lord God Almighty. It's just a cool thing. Revelation 21 Three and four says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. That is enough right there to say amen. It's going to be a day where we are completely away from death, disease, sorrow, pain, suffering. And God will personally be with us, personally be with us. He goes on to say, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for, of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Nothing evil, I love this, nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's going to be an absolute day indeed where we get to stand before the almighty God. This God is going to absolutely finish the work that he started in us. He began this with foreknowledge. He began this with predestination. He carried it on with his calling and justification, and he's going to finish it with glorification. That's why we can stand assured, indeed, that if Christ has saved you, then stand assured that you are in the salvation, the covering, the protection, and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You stand right there. Philippians 1, 6 says, And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue its work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God is going to do his thing. He's not at all, God is not at all going to be surprised by who's in heaven. We might be surprised. We might be surprised. I mean, just think about it. I mean, I could look around this congregation. Brian, yeah, Brian will be there. Natasha uh, 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 will be there. He'll be there. Andy uh, Andy will be there. Karen, I'm not, no. (laughs) God ain't going to do that. God ain't going to do that. He will not be surprised at who's in heaven because God's going to finish the work that he's begun in every one of us. And so... Those whom he's foreknew are the same ones he's going to predestine. Those who he's predestined, the same ones he's going to call, the same ones he's called is the same ones 
he's justifying and those he's justified is the same ones that he's glorifying. Uh, team, you can come. I got two minutes here. Let me, let me just, let me wrap this up with this. Where does that leave us? I, I, I just, I just think there should be much more gratitude from all of us for our salvation. We should be much more thankful for our salvation because it's nothing you earn. You can't pat yourself on the back at all for what you've done, for what you've accomplished. You know, you, you just can't. God does all of this, and without him doing any of it, none of us would be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, but we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, hear this, loved by the Lord because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. It's a call for us to be thankful. Oftentimes I say it, and I, and I truly, truly do mean it. The most precious thing that all of us have is this promise of eternal life from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you could give up everything else and still have the most valuable thing that God has given you, and that is that you belong to him. You're his son and you're his daughter. And in the process of all of this, in the process of foreknowledge and predestination and his calling and justification and glorification, does God lose any in the process? Absolutely not. He loses none. God is not a God that fails. God is not a God that lies. God is not a God that fumbles the ball. God doesn't miss the slam dunk. God is not the one that hit a foul ball instead of a home run. I'm telling you, God is the God that gets it done. He gets it done. He gets it done. John 10, 27 through 29, listen to this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Hear this, and they will never perish. And no one, I mean, right there is, that's the sermon in and of itself. He said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Who is the they that will never perish? The ones who gives, he gives eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's a safe, secure place. And so, I guess the final question would be then, do we have to believe? Well, of course. Because again, that's the ways by which God has determined how men respond to what he's doing. The scripture is clear, even though God is the one that does all of this, he does, provides everything for us. The scripture is clear that we are the ones who repent and believe that gospel message. We see that in Mark chapter 1. But I love this verse in Isaiah 55, 6 through 7. Listen to this. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Hear that call. Respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Joel chapter 232 says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the manner by which 
we respond to what God has done. In Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Everybody stand if you would. I'm just going to cut to the chase on this and pray on two things. One is, I as a pastor, my heart's desire for everyone that I have the opportunity to lead in whatever manner that's allowed, I really desire for people to be at absolute peace about what the Lord Jesus has done in your life. I, I, I'm going to tell you, I do not spend one moment of my life, not one moment, being concerned that if the Lord was to return at any moment or at night of whether I'm going to be caught up with the Lord. I don't spend one moment of that. Lady V is probably the most holy woman I know. And if I ever wake up in my bed and Lady V ain't there, I'm not going to have a heart attack thinking, oh, she didn't went in the rapture and I didn't. Not one bit. Because I believe what the Lord said about my life. I don't waste one second worrying about eternal life. God is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. I don't concern myself about it, and I don't want you to either. I want you to know whether Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I want you to know and rest assured that he is. And get about the business of evangelizing and not trying to keep thinking, I got to make myself saved. I got to get saved. I hope I'm saved. I just had a conversation with someone the other day and I didn't have the heart to go at the throat because they were at a, they were at a weak moment and they just kept saying, I just don't know whether I'm going to heaven. I hope I am. I hope I am. And at the moment, I honestly didn't really know where they were, but my heart was hurting hearing somebody say, I just don't know. I just don't know. No! No! Do you doubt whether Jesus died on that cross? Do you doubt whether you made a confession of faith? Do you doubt that he's a God that'll keep his word? Just know whether Jesus saved you or not. Just know. The other thing, if you're here and you don't know, you haven't made that confession of faith, then today is the day that you can do just that. Today is the day. Now, we do altar calls here, and there will be people here that will pray with you. Altar will even be open if you just want to uh, uh, come forth and just spend some time. But, but I think you know this. You know you can make a commitment to Jesus. Where That dude did it on a porn set. Y'all hearing me? On a porn set, that dude made a confession of faith. You can do it anywhere. Just do it. Just do it. You, whatever you're feeling right now, if you feel something stirring in your heart and you're thinking something's going on, I'm not sure. Let me tell you two things it can't be. Number one, it ain't the devil because he don't want you to commit. And number two, it ain't your flesh because your flesh don't want you to commit. Anything that's stirring in your heart right now, I assure you, is the Spirit of God calling you. The Spirit of God is calling you. And today is the day that you can make that commitment to Jesus. Even in front of you, there's a no, no God card. You can take that card and give it to the people up front or give it to the folks at the Connect uh, table, and today can be the day that you begin your life with Jesus. Father, I thank you for being so good to us, so faithful, so true, a promise-keeping God. Lord, help us all to rest 
in what you have done and believe your scriptures that you finish what you began. And for those, Lord God, who are feeling that stirring in their hearts right now, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, may they open their heart and arms to receive you. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen.